Uh, well, good morning. In case you missed it earlier, my name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're one of our guests here today, we're so glad to have you with us. If you'd like to find out more information about our church, you can scan this QR code here on the back of the order of service, and that uh, is a way to connect with the church staff and find out more about us and let us find out more about you. If you want to have coffee or anything with a staff person, that's the best way to do it. And also, if you're here today, we're going to be in the book of Micah in a few moments, and today's passage is found on page 10 in your order of service. It's also found on page 730 in that chair Bible there in front of you. And if you do not have a Bible at home, please do take that one with you as our gift. We would love for you to have that. So we've been working through Micah, this Old Testament prophet. And as many of the Old Testament prophets are, especially the minor prophets, I mean shorter prophets, um, they're, they're hard. There's, there's a lot of bad news in these things. We've, we've, been, we've been going through three chapters of rough stuff. And just last week we saw how he denounced the leadership of the nation at every level. He denounced their horrible prophets. He denounced their terrible priests. And he denounced the executive, the king branch. The king himself did repent, but all the executive systems in place, especially the appointed judges, were not so good. And so God says he's going to abandon them. He's going to let his temple be destroyed, giving them what they have earned. And and for us, reading the Old Testament as Christian Scripture, it makes us long for something better. Better prophet, better priest, better king, and we get that in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now today, starting in chapter 4, Micah is given a glimpse of the coming work of of Jesus, this coming work of God's grace. He doesn't know all the details about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that you and I do, but God reveals to him that one day, someday, God's going to do something amazing starting at Jerusalem and heading out for the benefit of the whole world. So with that in mind, would you now turn with me again, page 10 in your order of service, page 730 in the chair Bible. Let's look together at Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, come. Let us go up to the house of the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and he shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more, but they shall sit, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. This is God's word. Let's pray together. How gracious God and heavenly Father. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us precisely as you wish to be known. We pray, Father, that once again as we come before you this morning, you would, by your Spirit, open this text up to us that we may see you as you are, see the promises as you give them, and see ourselves as we hear and receive them. 
Pray that you would do this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So to jump right in to our theme for this morning, where we're going to kind of orbit around is this, is that God's exalted grace draws us in and it guides us into the life we really want. So the first thing we see as we jump through this text now is we got the seeker's ascent. Micah begins talking about something called the latter days. Something fully future to him is coming. These latter days, God is going to do something amazing. To the Old Testament people, Jesus' first coming is the last days. The early church taught that in his coming, Jesus has fulfilled. The new ages have dawned in Jesus. Think of Peter at his Pentecost sermon where he says the stuff that Joel is talking about and the stuff that Micah is happening about is happening right now before you in this moment at Pentecost. But yet, at the same time, the early church also waits for something more to come. So what was fully future to Micah is now partially fulfilled in the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But of course, there's more to come as well. Theologians have a technical term for this. I'll teach it to you. It's really profound. You ready for this? It's called already, not yet. There it is, right? Pretty self-explanatory. There's some of this that has been fulfilled already. You get to grasp onto it and see it. And there's some of it that's not yet in the future. And as we're looking at this, it's kind of a weird perspective for us because for Micah, it's all not yet. But for us, reading the Old Testament as the Christian Scripture, it is. For us, there's a partial fulfillment already. So we get to see some of this in action. So what does Micah see? Micah sees the temple mount itself, he says, will be exalted above all the other mountains. Okay, is this a big construction project? Is that what's going on here? No. For them, the higher the mountain, the greater the God. This is why throughout the Old Testament historic books, they all, the people in their times of rebellion and idolatry would put little shrines to other gods on mountaintops. The gods were up. You built a mountain, to, went to a mountaintop to get to the gods. So whoever has the highest mountain wins. So using the language of their time, Micah says, one day, someday, Israel's God will be exalted and known as the God above all others. God's mountain the place where he meets with his people will be exalted. His temple. If you were here last week, it's his temple that's despised in Micah's day. It's taken for granted in Micah's day. But God promises that generation that one day, someday, his house of worship will be exalted. Micah's passing out the red hats, saying, make Zion great again. See, there's hope here. There's a profound hope. But there's also judgment still here because by saying this is for the future generations, he's saying it's not for you hearing this right now. You will miss this. You, in Micah's generation, will get the judgment promise. But one day, someday, God will do an amazing work of grace. And when he does, people will flow This is the idea of a river flowing. And as you all know, rivers flow downhill. They don't flow uphill. But here, the highest of the mountains will have a river of people flowing up to it. This is the magnetic grace of God. God is drawing his people on a global scale. The people of the world are flowing to God for his grace. Now, for those of us here in the room, this is really good news for us. Most of us here are Gentiles. We're not Jewish people. 
and yet we've tasted the grace of God that He has given to all peoples because we get part of the already fulfillment of this promise that we have come to this exalted God of grace. We also see here that this God of grace says, my gracious salvation is the last word, not judgment. Isn't that great? God does not wait for us to get our act together before He extends grace to us. He doesn't treat us like we would treat us, in other words. Grace is expensive. There's a lot of resources have gone into this. Let me make sure you're worthy. I'm not going to waste it on you. Whereas God says, no, I'm not going to tell you to clean up and then come. I'm going to come and clean you up because that's grace. That's what God does here. He doesn't wait. He says, one day, someday, I will come to my people, my disobedient people, my people who don't have it all together, and I will fix this for them. And when they come, the people will be so thrilled that they encourage each other to come to God's mountain. Why are they encouraging each other? Look with me at verse 2. What do they say to each other? They say, come, why? That he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. Boys and girls, are you this excited to go to school? to learn the ways of our world and the paths of your parents? No. I know what this is. This is like the most exciting continuing education seminar ever, right? Everybody's just so grateful for HR putting this on. No, what's going on? They want to know him is what they're saying here. We could translate this phrase to learn his manners, to learn his habits, to learn his character. We could even say they want to know him so they can live like him. They come to the beacon of God's grace because they want to know the God of grace. They want to know what he's like. If you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, we're glad you're here. You know, there's a common misperception out there that the Bible is this rule book for how you appease the great taskmaster in the sky. And even right here, you can see that that's not what it is. God created us for relationship. Relationship with himself, relationships with others. And the people in Micah's day were terrible at relationships with each other. They robbed from each other. They stole from each other. Massive injustice against each other, destroying each other because they had a terrible relationship with God. They saw him as the mascot to appease. But when we see God for who he really is, the loving, gracious, heavenly Father who exalts his grace that draws us into his very heart, and there we find the respite that we need for our loneliness, for our insecurity. Because God's exalted grace, it draws us in And it guides us into the life we really want. The next thing we see here is the worshiper's delight. So the nations are drawn to the God of grace, it says, because out of Zion, the place of his presence, comes the law. Yay, we want law, right? That's exciting. Thanks for that, God. Yeah, not very enthusiastic for us, is it, right? That's because... The English translation law is probably one of the worst things that happened in church history. The King James Bible did a lot of good, did some bad, and one of the bad things it is is taking that beautiful word Torah and all it meant to them and translating it into the English law. Because that's all we really want. Just someone tell me what to do, right? Just tell me where I'm failing. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to start playing a mental exercise with yourself, and every time you read the Old Testament, And the New Testament, especially the Old Testament, when you see God's law, 
I want you to switch the word law in your brain for instruction. Think of it as the owner's manual for how to be human and how to have a civilization because that's what they meant when they said come for law. We live in an age where if you don't have walls and weapons, anybody will come and take your stuff and no one can do anything about it. Utter chaos, utter lawlessness. The strong are the only ones who survive. Judge us, give us law, help us. And so God says, I will give you instruction. Here's the owner's manual on how to be human and live on earth. That's what they want. They want that. And he says that my instructions will go out across the planet from Jerusalem. The nations converge on Jerusalem to here. Then they go back out taking it with them. There's a reversal. They come to get and then they take it to the other nations. The, other, the early church fathers saw this and rejoiced to say, hey, the 12 apostles came from Jerusalem. Jesus gave them his instructions and they went to the entire Roman world. They got to see a partial fulfillment of this. And you and I know there's more to come. In verse 3, he then says that he will judge disputes between the nations, even nations that are strong and far away. That's kind of a weird thing to say. What's he doing with that? What a weird detail, right? Well, here's what's going on. If you're a strong nation, you don't need help, right? So why would you bother coming to Jerusalem to get help unless you really wanted it? And if you're far away, it's not very convenient. Why would you do something unless you really wanted it? That little throwaway phrase is actually not very throwaway at all, is it? It means they want this. This is desirable. They, they extend resources to get this because they want his judgment on them. This is so unlike the people of Micah's day, if you were here last week and saw chapter 3, isn't it? They loved to go to the temple services, but they didn't come humbly to be with God. They didn't depart to walk in His ways. But here in the latter days, all the nations will want to walk with God and live under His care. Why? Because He's going to judge them. And again, for us, that has mostly negative connotations, doesn't it? We're not looking forward to God's judgment but instead of thinking it as someone with a, ta- a list telling you everything you've done wrong, again, think of it from a culture that doesn't have the peace that we have. That doesn't have just, you know, you don't have to be afraid all the time. The strong were constantly eating the weak. People were always taking stuff from other people. So someone who could do, render judgment was someone who would right the wrongs. Who doesn't want that? Haven't you ever had something happen to you? It's like, oh, it's so unfair. You're calling out for judgment when you say that. That's what it means to them. Life is unfair. Will someone make this right? Yes, we will go to Jerusalem because the God of grace is there and he will fix it. It leads us right into one of the most beautiful verses, beautiful ideas in the whole Bible. Look at me at the second part of chapter three. What shall they do? They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. See, when God's grace comes to the earth, everybody all of a sudden lines up at the blacksmith shop to turn their swords into farming implements. No more warriors, more farmers. No more tanks, make tractors. No more bombers, make hay balers. All the military academies close down. They become agricultural schools. 
People will no longer learn how to kill people and take their things. Hallelujah. It's a glorious picture of peace. And it gets even better. Look with me at verse 4. How do, we resp- how do the people respond to this peace? They shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. No one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Hamilton fans might recognize George Washington here, quoting Micah. Maybe the image of a fig tree doesn't do it for you. Maybe sitting under a vine, you're like, I don't really know what that means. So let's everybody look at the kids' translation, the kids' version of verse 4. Here's what's going on. Here's what says this. Instead, each person will be as happy and safe as they want to be. No one will ever make them afraid again. God, the supreme general of heaven's army, says so. So boys and girls, especially when you were little, mom and dad tell you to do something, and you say that, Horrible three-letter word back to them. Why? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you got what I got? Because I said so. Which is actually really helpful to teach your kids that authority exists, but there comes a certain age where you have to give them more because their brain is actually developing. Just FYI. God comes to his people and says, guess what? There will be peace because I said so. This is not, oh, the nations will come together pull out a guitar, sing Kumbaya, and sign a universal peace treaty. All will be well. Now God comes and says, I will break all the arrogant, all the strong. I will create and then enforce peace because I will rule. Peace on earth only comes about under the king of kings. He will make his people peace because he says so. He will exercise his authority. That may be a little off-putting to some of you, but deep down, don't you just want to be happy and have peace? Don't you just want to, just even for a moment, just rest and not think about it, whatever it is? I mean, all of our striving and all of our efforts, all of our posturing, aren't they just to have a moment of rest and peace? I mean, how many of you are like, what does it take to get my brain to shut up in those five minutes after I close my eyes before I go to sleep. It invents stuff to worry about. I already got, that list is already big enough. I don't need you adding more to it, brain, right? God wants to bring that to his people and give you peace. God says, I will do what it takes with the resources I have to bring you peace. He exerts his because I said so authority for the comfort of his people. What a beautiful picture. You know, the New Testament tells us that humanity is enslaved to the fear of death. That it keeps us in slavery. But then it goes on to say that those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, as he's offered in the gospel, are set free from that fear of death. And that frees them from all these other fears and anxieties as well. So even while there's a world out there full of terrorist attacks, injustice, inflation, heartaches, more month than money very often, relationships that disappoint, people that let you down, Jesus offers what? Peace that passes understanding that will guard your hearts and your minds. See, Micah doesn't know all that. But he just knows that God is going to do something amazing 
from His exalted grace. And so, using what he knows of his world, he taxes the Hebrew language, trying to show that one day, someday, the latter days will be like this. See, and those of us who've placed our, their faith and trust in Jesus, we get to taste what Micah can only dream of, of that someday world. Now, for those of you who want to see a better world, notice that God promises a better world as his peace goes forth. It brings peace between people. If you want to change your world, start with your neighborhood. Introduce your neighbors to this Jesus, this God of peace. Show and tell them of his grace because God's exalted grace draws us in and it guides us into the life we really want. And the final thing we see here is we see the adopted's determination. So in response to God's powerful, informative, peaceful grace, Micah and the faithful respond, we're all in. We'll do it. Yes, let's go. Others may fall after all the fads and idols of the day, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God, living on His strength. Before you give it that good Presbyterian grunt of agreement, "Mm, mm." (laughs) let me ask you, what is your source of strength and fulfillment daily? What is it that you look to? What is your, let's call it a spiritual fidget toy that you pull out when things are stressful and it makes you feel better? Is it an increasing bank account? Is it a decreasing waistline? Is it a better job, the right house in the right neighborhood, better friends, the right friends, a different spouse, better car, that promotion, free time. What is it that you go to in stress? Or what is it that scares you you might lose? The Bible calls those things idols. And Micah here tells us that all the nations seek after those things, but God's people who really get a picture of his grace seek after him for those things. We want those things. We'll seek it somewhere. If you don't find fulfillment in the God of grace, you will find it somewhere else. But thank God His exalted grace draws us in and guides us to the life we really want. All right, let's wrap this up. Here's how I want to really bring this into our world today. I want us all to look back at the kids, verse 1, to kind of give us an overarching summary of this passage. It's this. Micah says, One day, someday, God's true temple will rule over all others as the only way to God. People will stream to it to be with God. I want you to think on that phrase, God's true temple will be the source and people will stream to it. Then I want you to think of our Lord Jesus' own words in John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. He says this, Jesus answered them, said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. See, Jesus claims to be this temple from Micah right here. What Micah foresaw, Jesus fulfills. He is this exalted place of mediation between God and his people. If you need more, the book of Hebrews, describing salvation itself, tells us in Hebrews 12, verse 22 says this, But you, Christians, have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. 
It's a synonym for coming to Jesus for salvation. He says, you've come to Zion. Again, looking for what Micah only partially saw, the author of Hebrews says, you have it in Jesus. Micah 4 speaks of Jesus, in other words. And then Jesus himself channeling Micah 4, 1 said that when he is exalted, he will draw all people to himself. And then echoing verses 2 and 4, Jesus famously said, remember, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Channeling this desire from Micah. Looking to the promise of verse 3, we call Jesus the King of Kings, don't we? And some of the last words he ever said before his ascension was, all authority has been given to me. He is this authority who will rule. But he's also the great prince of peace, isn't he, who brings in his peace. You see, Micah here looks ahead to the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And that's more than just a piece of biblical trivia. This is more than just an aha moment for your brain. This is a time for your heart to bathe itself in God's grace because the God's people in Micah's time could not make themselves better. They brought God's judgment upon themselves because they were addicted to hurting others. They disregarded God because they wanted to, even though it brought them pain, even though it brought them suffering. They just couldn't obey and be faithful. So God in His grace exalted His Son as the beacon of His grace. When you and I just could not live as God deserves, Jesus lives the life that God deserves from us. When we earned God's wrath with our continued selfishness and faithlessness, Jesus died the death for sin that God demands of us. And His resurrection ends the warfare between people because it ends the conflict between people and God. See, Micah is using unreal language here to describe the reality of God's grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is for you. Oh, if you've tasted and seen this Jesus, if you've placed your faith and trust in Him, see how deep and rich His grace really is and let it draw you deeper into God's very heart. And if you haven't placed your faith and trust in Christ, see the depths of His grace here. Repent and believe this gospel. And don't wait. Do it now. Let's pray together. Now, gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Word that challenges, that convicts, that uplifts us, that, that brings up our hopes, Lord, because Your hope never disappoints. So, Lord, I pray for those here today who already know You, who've placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. I pray You would draw us deeper into Your very heart, that we would yet see even more of Your goodness to us and how amazing Your love is. Lord, I pray here today for those who don't know you. I pray that you would do your work, Lord Jesus, that as you are lifted up and exalted, you would draw all people to yourself. Even now, Father, would you cause many to confess faith in Christ and believe that even right here your kingdom would come and your will would be done as it is in heaven. We pray that you would do this, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.